I wanted to talk a bit about how we connect with God. Oh, is that gone back to where it has? Can we disconnect that up there, please? Is that okay? Thank you. I'll just see if it will connect here. Otherwise, I'll press the button. Oh, it's come back. Brilliant. Um, but I wanted to show you something. I wonder how many people see God like that. Yeah. That God is there and he's saying to us, don't do that. And if you do, I've got a massive mallet. I'm going to smack you on the head with it. Yeah. Now, we might say, no, we don't. But that view can be betrayed by how we get approval from God. Yeah. Now, the real way is like this. Yeah. That God, through Jesus, loves us. Yeah. Through Jesus, we are adopted by God. And I want to show you two kind of differing images. You can see those. The one on the left here is called the human paradigm. And the human paradigm has this phrase attached to it, how am I doing? Yeah, how am I doing? And that is based upon my evaluation of what makes me acceptable, what makes me successful, what have I got set there that determines that I've arrived. Now, in the world, that's quite easy. In the world, it's money, or it's power, or it's the accumulation of wealth or a position. And what you see is people are running, and, and they're saying, how are you doing? Now, there's a reason why the guy is running and sweating, because you never get there. You know, I've known people who've got millions of pounds, but it is not enough. It's not enough. People who um, gain all kinds of accolades, it is not enough. And they are constant running towards a goal, and in that goal, they never get there. Now, in Christendom, it works the same way. People are running towards Jesus, but they look at God as being either angry, ambivalent, that means he doesn't really care, or he's not even there. And they're running. And, and Christians can be running and constantly saying to themselves, how am I doing? Am I praying enough? Am I reading my Bible enough? Am I going to enough church meetings? Am I witnessing to enough people? And we have this set of things that we need to get to so that God will accept us. So God will say, yeah, you're okay. Why? Well, you've led three people to Jesus. I love you more because that person hasn't done any. Let me tell you, the human paradigm will kill you with depression and everything else. There's a simple reason for that, because in the Jesus paradigm, we get back to this image, we are adopted. Don't know if you, you've thought much, we've not really said too much about that. I know we've preached on it here and there, but we've not said too much. But what adoption does is it does this, it says, you're now in my family, and from that point on, you are working towards behaving like a family member. But your family membership is never in question. I want you to think about it for a moment. Let's say 
that you adopted a child that had been raised with wolves in the woods, yeah, when you adopt that child, is it automatically going to sit at the table and eat with a knife and fork? I don't think so. But is the child part of your family? Yes. But it's got a journey to go on. The child's got a journey to go on to learn how we live in this family. And when we get saved, we are adopted, we're loved. That's not a, in question. We are part of God's family. And God then says, but now I'm going to teach you by my spirit as part of the people of God. I'm going to teach you how you should live. But we put it the other way around. We kind of say, well, if I'm not living like that, then I'm not adopted. If I'm not living like that, I'm not loved. If I'm not living like that, I'm not accepted. And God says, no, you are part of my family. And that's why I like these two paradigms. Oh. You see, the question changes from how am I doing? How many of you have been forgiven? Anybody? I know I have. Yeah? And you know what? When God forgives you, when you know that you have willfully sinned, knowing that it's wrong, and God forgives you, your response is, how can you be so good? I mean, how can he be so good? How can he love me so much that he would forgive me? And instead of this question of how am I doing, we move into this thing, um, how can you be so good? I tell you why, because he's God. It re-emphasizes for me for why I love God, because he is so good. I mean, let's face it, if we look at this image of, of God and the mallet, if that really was God, then in the Garden of Eden, he would have just destroyed them, wouldn't he? Let's be honest, God very clearly said to Adam... Don't touch the tree in the middle of the garden. The day you do is the day you die. If God was going to fully carry that out, he'd have got his mallet and bang, bang, they're gone. But he didn't do that. I, I love what Liz shared today. Just God's willingness to cover over our sin and our shame and make provision for us. What does that tell me? It tells me that God is looking to adopt, not to smack us over the head with a mallet. My experience, sadly, of many people in the world is that they think God is a mallet-wielding God. They think he's all about judgment. And you see that. You'll see that in other religions. It's all about judgment. Does that mean there will be no judgment? Of course there will be. But the judgment will be based on those who have rejected adoption. We've not rejected adoption. We admit we struggle. But that struggle doesn't change my adoption. We will sin, we will do wrong things, we will make mistakes. But in the midst of all of it, God says, I still love you. You are still part of my family. Now the good news is that all of the struggle and difficulty that we face makes us more and more into the sons of God. It changes us. Doesn't it change us? We go through difficulty. 
<coughs> pardon me, we go through hardship, we have problems, we sin, he forgives us, and all of it is a process of God changing us from one degree of glory to another. I really wish that on the day of salvation, that this hand of God would come down, zap us, and we are perfect. Wouldn't that be great? But the problem is, actually, no, it wouldn't. Because we'd probably be a bit arrogant with that. Oh, I've been changed. I'm perfect now. So I want to ask you, I'm going to fill that one out a bit more, don't live in the human paradigm. And be very cautious in your Christian life that you're not trying to earn brownie points with God. There are no brownie points. And so what happens <coughs> in the Jesus paradigm is that when we recognise how good God is, it changes our question of how am I doing to how am I doing loving others because if God loves me this much, then it's going to outwork itself and me loving other people. And we become ambassadors for God. And we see the likes of the more famous names like Mother Teresa who did that par excellence. What did she do? She just loved people. There's a need, I'm going to meet it. But you see, we can't be ambassadors loving other people if we're so concerned about how we're doing. One of the things God has to save us from is an introspection where we are constantly thinking about ourselves. I was reading something yesterday, it was really good, and the guy was saying one of the reasons we need to worship each week is because we need to disconnect from our preoccupation with ourselves and think about God. We need to, for a short period of time each day, which we do in our devotion or on a Sunday, we need to just forget about ourselves and say, God, you are amazing. And as you do that, all of a sudden you sense the presence of God. You think, oh, wow, I like this. And we begin to find the less we think about ourselves, in some ways, the better. And so we think about God and we think about other people. It's that whole idea that we think about God first, then we think about others, and then we think about ourselves. But the world has it the other way around. It's all about me. How am I doing? And we're saying here, if you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sin and you believe that Jesus, that his death is the atonement for your sin, you are in, you're adopted. Don't know if you can see that, but I'll read it anyway. <coughs> this is two, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. This is Paul writing, and he says this, For consider your calling, brothers, and by here he means brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The idea here is this, that there is nothing on earth that we could ever do that would get us into God's adopted family, because if we could do it, we could boast about it. We could say, well, I was born into this family, and therefore God, of course, adopted me. Or I behave like this. I'm a really good Christian, Jew, whatever. I do lovely good things, and therefore I'm in. No, nobody can boast, because then he says in verse 30, and because of him, who's him? Him is God. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. How did that happen? I don't know. He just did it. You might say, well, I repented, but you only repented because he convicted you of your sin. If he never did that, he would never have repented. The reason we are sitting here today adopted in his family is because like any adoption, it wasn't up to us. I mean, the parents go to the adoption agency, we would like to adopt that child. The child has very little role in it in some way. It's due to the parents saying, we want you to come into our home. And I love this, it says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. And then it says this, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I mean, that covers it all. I mean, we're forever trying to be sanctified. But actually, Jesus is our sanctification. There is nothing we can do to make us righteous before God, but Jesus is our righteousness, and he's our redemption from going to hell. And then it says in verse 31, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's done it all. From start to finish, God has done it. And doesn't it seem foolish that we run around trying to think we can do something to change that? If we chillaxed a bit and said, you know what, it's not up to me. It's up to God. And said, God can do it. And he can do it through me. I'm adopted. Yeah, I'm not perfect, etc. But he can do it through me. We would see amazing stuff. I mean, we do. We've seen it in the last three weeks. Ephesians. I'm just trying to bring out those two paradigms from Scripture. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. I've put it in two translations. <coughs> the NLT says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. I love it in the ESV. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So the most important part to that is, is that we believe. Believing is the key that unlocks grace. You understand that? God's grace comes when we believe. And, he's, and it says here, and you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. The ESV I prefer, it says, it is the gift of God. God's gift to you and me is that he says, I'm going to give you grace if you believe that I'm going to give it to you. Salvation 
is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it saying the same thing again. We can do good things till we're blue in the face, but we can't say before God, therefore those things saved. He says, no, you're saved because you're adopted. You do good things because you're part of my family, but those things are not things you do to get saved. You know, it doesn't negate that we do good things. It just changes the viewpoint from why we do them. I'm not doing good things because I want to improve myself or whatever, or because I want God to accept me. I'm doing them because I'm in his family and I love him, and I want other people to see that he loves them, and out of that comes good action. But none of it saves me. None of it saves me. The salvation is what he has done. And then he says this, For we are God's masterpiece. Now, you might find this difficult, but I want you to do something really difficult. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are God's masterpiece. Hopefully, there's not too much laughing. You know, it says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The ESV says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, what I like with this is the whole emphasis. You see, I, I kind of grew up in church with the idea that to be in, you had to do certain things. It wasn't kind of said like that, but it was said in the way that people were promoted or used or whatever, and it was dependent upon what you did. It wasn't kind of you're adopted, it was kind of what you did. And so I, I grew up in churches like that, and it skewed that whole idea. It was really a repackaging of the world which says, we will promote you based on what you can achieve. Or worse still, we will adopt you if you can prove that you're good enough. I mean, that's awful. Think about that for a minute. Can you imagine saying to some children, hey, we'll adopt you, but you need to prove that you're good enough. I was reading a terrible, this is an aside, I was reading a terrible thing that in America and in the West, there are children who are adopted who are then rejected by their adopted parents and put back in for re-adoption. I mean, what does that do to you? So what does Jesus say? He says, listen, he says, I want you to be part of my family. All you need to do is you need to believe in me. Yeah, you need to repent of your sin. But you believe in me and you are part of my family. And I will give you everything that you need to be part of my family, to live as a member of my family. Can you see how amazingly good God is? How our response should be? How can you be so good? We don't deserve it. It's the love of God. Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ 
might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, sorry, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You know, it's a really simple thing this morning that God wants us to understand that we're not expected to chase our tails. We're not expected to run and run and sweat and run and perform. And then he has his little clipboard and says, well, Simon, your evaluation this month is Bible reading down, prayer down, you know. What a horrible way to live. And the thing is, we do that to ourselves. I think one of the greatest tragedies of church life very often, of course, this church is accepted. The great tragedy of church life is that we are part of the same family and we should be able to be really honest with one another and say, hey, you know, I sinned this week. I watched something I shouldn't have watched or I said something I shouldn't have said. But the reality is very often on a Sunday, people put on their Sunday face. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. And the thing is, we shouldn't be like this. And you see, it's only like that if we evaluate our performance with being adopted. I mean, Zoe and James, I can say it because they're not here. Man, they fight. And their fighting has nothing to do whether they remain a member of our family. We don't say, James, that was it. You hit your sister, you're out. It doesn't happen. And God doesn't do that either. You know, the only time it changes is when we remain unrepentant. So keeping a short account with God is a good thing. But that also means there's nobody in here who can put me out. No matter how bad I am, it's God who is the one who could put me out if he wanted to. So whether you guys like it or not, you're stuck with me as part of this family. And I'm stuck with you. And that means we can be totally honest and open with one another because it's not going to change anything because we are still adopted into the family of God. Now, I like that kind of a family. They do these, these reality programs on TV where people have to perform and if they don't perform enough, they're off. I don't want to be in a family like that. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Some of this, <coughs> I really believe, came out. I was listening to, to the testimonies over the last two or three weeks and things people sharing. And one of the predominant things is how we view ourselves before God. And I want to say to you categorically here this morning that God loves you. Amen. And you're adopted into his family. Amen. And when we look in the mirror, we're not perfect but that doesn't change the adoption. Yeah. We're on a journey. You know, the Bible says we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And when I was younger, theologically, I said, well, which one is it? And the answer is it's all three. When we make that confession of faith and repent, we are saved. 
when we continue in the family of God and we continue to keep a short account and loving Jesus and believing we are being saved. And then when, if we do that, when Jesus returns, we will be finally saved. It is a journey. And in that journey, yeah, people will see all kinds of stuff in us that we don't like. But actually, it's part of a process of God working within us. And the amazing thing is, we are all in the same position. We're all adopted in. All of us. The people who aren't adopted in are the Jews. They are the original family. But it says we, we are a wild vine and we have been grafted in. We've been adopted in by Jesus. And I wanted to share that this morning because I want you to understand the power of that. That you're part of God's family. And it's Romans, I think it's in Romans, but it talks about nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. No famine, no hardship, nothing. Think about that for a minute. Nothing. You know, the only thing, here's the thing, the only thing that can change your adoption is you, actually. Because if you adopt a child into your family and it runs away, there's not, not anything you can do. But God says there is nothing on this earth that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not a single thing. Hardship won't do it. Difficulty, famine, the sword or guns or wars or pandemics or financial problems or sin. None of that can separate you. So it means we have a confidence in our adoption with God. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that as we sit here this morning, we are adopted into the family of God. We are all children. We are all brothers and sisters. We are all sons in God. And Father, I want to pray that. I want to pray that especially for those of you that have low self-esteem, those of you that look at yourselves and say, I'm worth nothing. And I say especially to you this morning, you are adopted into the family of God. It is by believing that you get in, not by anything else that you can do. And so, Father, I want to thank you for that, that we draw near in faith. By grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. And Father, we thank you for that gift and we declare, how can you be so good? But we love you for it. We love you for it. And so Father, I just pray that we would know as we go into this week that we are part of the family of God, adopted in, we are loved, we are valued, we have a place, we have uh, works prepared for us. Lord, I thank you that everything that is yours is made ours through this adoption. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.